We're going from uh, verses 39 through 56 this morning. And uh, as you turn there in your Bibles, there's a pew Bible in front of you. Um, I will pray. Lord, we invite you to be here with us this morning to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that when we go through this word of yours that you've provided for us, that it would speak to us and to change us. Pray, God, for a blessing on everyone here. Pray, God, for people who are going through various circumstances, Lord, that they would be able to look to you. And help us to learn from Elizabeth and Mary this morning as we look at their lives, as we look at the interaction between Elizabeth and Mary, and we look at Mary's song. In Jesus' name, amen. God the Father is lining up his witnesses for his son Jesus. And he's building this case. He's lining up all the things that he needs to to present this case here. And, And the witness summoned today is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was elderly, six months pregnant with her son John. So this morning we're going to be a fly on the wall and observe the visit between Mary and Elizabeth. And then we'll look a little bit more closely at Elizabeth and then her life of faith. And there are some, some lessons here that Elizabeth teaches us. And then after that we'll, we'll talk about Mary's song a bit. So first of all, Elizabeth paints us a picture of fellowship and that's in verses 39 and 40. Let's read those. In those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now Mary had a motive for visiting Elizabeth. She had, she had just received news that she would have a son even though she was a virgin. A, a very confusing place. Not knowing what she was going to do next. Not knowing is she going to approach her family. What she going to be look like in the in the community and and she was told by the angel she would have this son and the son would be the redeemer the savior of the world and this unusual conception would happen by the power of God all great and all but how is she going to explain that so it, it would be the supernatural act of God and so where does Mary turn okay can Mary turn to her parents can she turn to someone in her community who can she turn to Mary had this relative Elizabeth, who also had a really unusual conception in that she and her husband, Zechariah, they were an elderly couple. They were well past their childbearing years. Yet God had opened up her womb so that she could bear a son, John. We know him as John the Baptist. And she was in her sixth month of pregnancy. So you're thinking about this, and you put yourself in Mary's sandals for a moment. Of course she went to visit Elizabeth. Who else could she go to? This made total sense, doesn't it? They had this bond of pregnancy, which any of you who are pregnant, you know how that bond is. You find another woman who's pregnant, you go, hey, we're, we're buddies, right? We're going through these things. We're going through all these physical changes, all these emotional changes, all these different changes. There's, the, there's a bond that you guys have as, as pregnant women. And, and so, but it wasn't just like the pregnancy, like, oh, Elizabeth's pregnant. I'll go visit her. Um, I'm in my first trimester. I can hike 70 miles at least. 70 miles to visit Elizabeth. And so probably along the road, she's like, oh, oh motion sickness, morning sickness, ugh, whatever. And, but, you know, this pregnancy stuff, it's, it's exciting. You know, she can get, get to share this with us. But, but there's something really unique about their pregnancies that really bonded them together. <clears throat> the supernatural act of God in their pregnancies. She knew that 
Elizabeth was old. She, 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 knew, that, she knew that she was past her childbearing years. So <clears throat> this unique of way of becoming pregnant, and, you, and so you think about who can Mary turn to at this time? Who can she turn to to, to kind of get some support, get some help, get some understanding when she knew everyone around her was not going to be that supportive? And if anyone understood God's power in pregnancy, in, in these supernatural acts of pregnancy, it would be Elizabeth. She would get it. She would understand that if she went to her and said, this angel came to me, was it the same angel? My husband met that angel. He put him, he shut him up for like a long time, and it was so great. And, <clears throat> and so they could, they could kind of like talk to each other about this stuff, right? And if, if anyone could empathize with Mary, with how, how God stepped in to allow for their babies to be in their womb, it would be her relative, Elizabeth. And because of Elizabeth's understanding and her empathy, perhaps Elizabeth was, was the only woman that Mary could turn to for guidance. Right? It wasn't like in today's society where you just kind of openly, you know, it's a lot more accepting, there's a lot more forgiveness, there's a lot more grace. This is a society where this is really looked down upon to have a child out of wedlock. And if you were to go to somebody and talk to them, it wasn't like there were some social services that she could go to, and, and she would be shunned by the She would be ostracized by the town. There's, there's no one she could turn to, this young teenage girl, to, to, to turn to for support, for help, for, for anything. And not only does she have to carry this baby by herself, but then she has this community pressure of, of what it looks like, but it's not. So how to deal with people, and, and, they're, and they're looking at you really weird, and they're saying things behind your back, and, and people are just not acting godlike towards you in what they say and, and how they're acting towards you. So, so maybe Elizabeth was, was one woman who could offer Mary that support and that encouragement in a time that she was really alone. And you kind of see that she didn't just travel like across town. Right? She, she went to Elizabeth with a, with a purpose, and she needed this time. She went on a long trek. This is at least 70 miles. At least. Walking while you're pregnant. And it's not like paved flat road there, right? This is rough terrain here. The topography is really rough here. And so we're not told how she gets there. We know it's not by car. Right? And, and we know it's probably not by an animal of some sort. She's, she's, a, she's a poor girl from a little rural town. Right? She's, she's probably walking, most likely, over 70 miles to visit this relative to try to get something from her, to gain some wisdom from this more mature believer in the faith whose husband was a priest to try to get some support and some encouragement through her. And she had this strong desire to be with Elizabeth. She really wanted to be there. This is, this is a long hike for a, a woman in her first trimester. And so Mary had, had this woman in mind who, who could understand her and, and not judge her and support her through this really difficult time in her life. Now what brought them together? What, what allowed for this bond? It was the coming of a Savior. That's what allowed for this bond. Who, the Redeemer who was to be born from the Virgin Mary. And this is what fellowship is about in Christians. 
The Bible's sense of fellowship has a common bond. And, and that common bond is our Redeemer. It, it is Jesus. It's Jesus who brings us together in fellowship. Now, there are other types of relationships, right? And, and friendships and camaraderie and all that stuff that, that happens in circles like your work or, or your school or, or even church. You can hang out with me. It's okay. There's a bunch of guys that went to go watch the UFC fight yesterday. It's okay. You're not sinning, I don't think. But... But it's not fellowship unless it's through this common bond in our living Savior, Jesus. That's fellowship. The other stuff is hanging out, friendship, things like that. So fellowship in the biblical sense is not simply just a dinner or coffee or you know, some other get-together. Uh, unless the common bond of our living Redeemer, Jesus, is in the midst of that time. So in the dinner, if you guys are kind of talking about what the Lord's doing in your life, how you came... That's fellowship. Going into a little deeper level spiritually. And that's what we have here with Mary and Elizabeth. Their bond was in the coming of the Redeemer, which Mary was housing in her womb. Now, this is, this is something that's kind of intriguing to me. Do you notice how gracious Elizabeth was with Mary? Right, that, that there was this acceptance of Mary, that there was no jealousy, there was no envy of Mary. And you, and you see Elizabeth wasn't the one bearing our Savior. It was Mary, this, this young girl who wasn't married or who, whose marriage wasn't consummated yet. She was betrothed, so married in the legal sense in that you would have to give divorce papers if you wanted to get out of that betrothal. But it wasn't consummated yet. Yet she was carrying the Redeemer. Yet there was no jealousy. There was no resentment. There was no envy or ill will or covetousness towards Mary. Right? Elizabeth has no problems with Mary being the more highly favored one. And sometimes we get like this as Christians where maybe another church comes into the neighborhood or, or something where we have this kind of competition thing. Like, why isn't that me? Why didn't the Lord bless us that way? Or why didn't, why didn't that happen for me? Like, how come that person gets that sort of a blessing? I've been praying this for years. And then they just come in and poof, it just happens. But you don't see that here. And, and so... So when you look at Elizabeth, and then you look at her son, because like mother, like son here, John, the son of Elizabeth, said of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. So you can't help but to think that John the Baptist's mom had this role in her son having an attitude like that. Because way back when, she had nothing of envy towards Mary having being the highly favored one, that Elizabeth, as a mother, was very wise. That how, she, how she raised her son, John the Baptist, there, there's some reflection there between how the mother is like and what the son is like and, and how he was acting towards Jesus and how she was acting towards Mary. She was a great mom. There's no jealousy. There's no attitude. There's no envy or anything like that. Like, why did she get to do that? Not me. My husband is, is a priest. He got to... He got to do incense. And who's her husband? He's a carpenter. Why, why does she get to do that? There's none of that in there. She's, she's thrilled. She's thrilled that this girl hikes over 70 miles and, and comes over and, and, and she's going to learn from her. And that's something that Jesus allows us to do. He, he brings us together no matter how different we are. 
He brings together the, the, the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy, whatever differences we have. Jesus breaks all those barriers of difference and He brings us together in Him. And it's a really beautiful thing. And you look at the person next to you or you look at the people around you. I mean, seriously. Where else would you associate with those people? Like, I would never... Right? Definitely. Not that one. But, you know? And so, the, it wouldn't be a movie theater. Because in a movie theater, there are actually some people that can't afford it. But the church, welcome. There's no admission. We, we've been thinking about it. But right now, there's no admission. <laughs> right, and then you go to some conventions... And you're like, yeah, we could go to a convention. And does, but do, the, do, all, do those conventions that you're thinking about, do they cross gender lines? Do they cross socioeconomic lines? Do they cross education lines? Do they cross ethnic lines, culture lines, or whatever other lines that you want to draw? Do they cross everything? The church does, or at least it should. Some don't, and shame on them. But it should. It should. It should cross all those lines. And because of Jesus, he's, he's made it so that no matter how different the person is next to you or across from you or behind the church or whatever, you can still love them in His name. We can still gather in His name. We still fellowship in His name. All those barriers, all those differences are overcome by Jesus that we might have with one another. They're gone. They're gone. We have a common bond in Jesus and He's allowed reconciliation between God and people but he's also allowed reconciliation between people and people. He's also broke those those kind of difference and barrier walls as well. And you notice that even though Elizabeth was was in this pretty bizarre state, this elderly woman woman in her between second and third trimester of pregnancy, and and Mary, who's also in kind of this kind of bizarre state, and that she's pregnant and um, but she's a virgin, and and so. All these weird things, but they're allowed to come together because there's a bond in Jesus, the, the Redeemer, the Savior. So Jesus breaks those barriers even as a baby. He's a powerful guy. I mean, he's just like this small. And he broke the barrier. And, and in him, you know, Mary felt no shame in going to Elizabeth, a more mature woman of God. To seek support, to seek counsel, to seek prayer, to seek encouragement. And I don't think anyone told her to do it. I don't think her mom or dad was like, you got pregnant by a virgin, you're a virgin and you got pregnant. What? Go see Mary, go see Elizabeth, go, go over there. I don't think they did that. I think they, they might have just kicked her out, who knows? We're not told what happened, but we know that she didn't go to her parents for that support. She goes to Elizabeth, and I think, I think she had nowhere else to go. There was nowhere else she could go. So she goes to this relative, and, and she kind of goes on her own, this, this long, long trek. But it was something that Mary needed. She needed this. She took this initiative to have someone in her life who was further along in their spiritual life to to speak into hers, to invest into hers, to seek support and help in this really, really difficult trying time. And there's a lesson here for us. There's a lesson here for those of us who, who kind of isolate ourselves in times of trouble or who are kind of 
younger in the faith, or maybe if, if, even if you are mature in the faith, that there are always people that are more mature in the faith than you, that can always speak into your life. And, and so don't isolate yourself. Don't pull back from community. Don't pull back from fellowship because you're in a tough place or because you feel guilty or shame that you have this sin and whatever that, that you have to pull back away from the church that maybe you're afraid that will judge you or you're afraid that something will happen to you. Don't do that. And it won't happen here. And if it does, confront us on it. See, that, that is not Jesus-like. And, and so there are people that, you, that can help you through the things that you're going through and, and you can seek Someone that's a little further along in your spiritual walk. And, and there's probably someone that has gone through what you're going through. And it's not that you depend on people to deliver you from, from these situations. Saying like, oh, it's okay. I've been through this before. We depend on God. We depend on the Holy Spirit too. But the Lord can use those people to kind of guide you through those things. To let you know like, this is how I made a mistake. And this is, this is, these are the things that kind of help me through it. And they can help you through that stuff. what Mary needed. And another thing here is that we, we tend to try to rely on the church for everything. Right? The, the church does the programming. The church provides the home groups. The church provides the fellowship groups and the worship and all these other things. But did you notice that Mary didn't rely on her synagogue here? She didn't pr- rely on her place of worship to provide the fellowship she needed, to provide the support, the encouragement. She did have some responsibility and ownership here. To, to, she went and found Elizabeth. She did something there. She didn't just rely on the church and say, woe is me, and that church is terrible. They don't reach out to me. Like They're so bad. They, they're just, whatever. Uh, and I'm sorry. We should be better. The church should be better. We should know people a little bit better to know that, to see their countenance if something's wrong or, or to notice that maybe the husband's not coming with the wife anymore or the wife's not coming to the church anymore or, or, or like children aren't coming. We, we should notice those types of differences. But at the same time, you can seek it also. You can, you can seek that help also. And so... So be a little bit more proactive, like, like Mary was here, in that she was proactive in her spiritual development. She knew she needed something. And she took initiative to seek that fellowship, to seek that support. And it's not something that her church imposed on her or, or made available to her. Like, like, oh, Mary's pregnant. We need a single mom's group now. Come on, synagogue. Let's, let's get a single mom's group going. Mary's pregnant. Right? She, they didn't do, her, her desire for fellowship was expressed through her taking her own uh, initiative and, and having some ownership and putting forth the effort to travel over 70 miles on foot to a, in, while she's pregnant to Elizabeth's house. And it wasn't like she could call ahead. Like, um, Elizabeth, I'm coming. I'll be there in a few days because I need to walk. Uh, you know, she, it wasn't, she just kind of showed up. Hi, hi! Whoa, fancy to see you here. And and I and I don't think any of us have it this tough to find fellowship. We don't have it this tough, right? We, text, email, phone. She doesn't have any of that. She didn't have like smoke signals, I bet. And so maybe one of the problems that we have is that we have it too easy. 
We have it too easy, and that's why we, we, we don't seek it, because it doesn't take any planning, really. It doesn't take any effort, because we can just pick up a phone and dial away or text away or whatever, and, and we don't have to really think through, how are we going to do that for ourselves? How, how am I going to do that? And then the other thing is that I think sometimes we, we, we rely too much on the church, to provide everything for us. When are they going to put a party thing together for us? When are they going to have a meeting for, for leaders? When are they going to have a, a retreat? When are they going to have all this stuff? That the, the church has to provide all this stuff instead of... How about you? How about you? Are you seeking ways to fellowship? To get to know people around the community? Or are you just sitting back and waiting? Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't use the church as a crutch to provide all these things. There needs to be some ownership. And to have Jesus in the center of the relationships, isn't it worth it? Do you really want to wait on somebody else? If, if Jesus is that important to you, do you really want to wait to, to talk about Him? To, to fellowship around Him? It doesn't have to be all the time, right? I mean, you guys can enjoy like a UFC fight last night and have some wings or whatever. And, and, and there are times that you're just doing things socially and saying like, oh, look at that guy. I can't believe he's fighting. Like he's way out of shape, whatever. And talk about those things. And, and you don't have to like play Scrabble and think like, okay, how do I, how do I, Holy Spirit? No, it doesn't spell that. And um, think of like God, like uh, Capernaum or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like you don't have to incorporate all these these. Christian things into everything, like all the words you spell, whatever. Don't get all freaky about it. You can enjoy yourself, right? You don't have to like make everything surrounding. Oh, everything's everything's Christianity. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever, and it's all I'm gonna play Monopoly and oh, let's change all the names. It's not Park Place. It's Jerusalem, and like you don't have to get all freaky. If you believe in Jesus. Fellowship doesn't have to be structured or imposed on you from the church. Right? It's something that you just naturally desire. You just want to. You just want to. To, to spontaneously, to naturally seek out other believers and form those bonds of prayer and those bonds of support. And we, and we have this common Redeemer. What's preventing us to being like Mary and Elizabeth? They had a lot, a lot of things to overcome just to come together. Think about that. She's pregnant in her first trimester. No modes of transportation, no modes of communication, yet she goes all the way over there to hang out. The synagogue didn't tell her to do it. Her people didn't tell her to do it. And even if the church doesn't provide that exact type of fellowship group where, where you feel like it would serve you, what's preventing you from seeking that on your own? Right? Using the church's resources to start something you would like to see. We have not turned down th- very many things here. If it's in your heart and you're, you're, you see something that people can benefit from in our body, that, that you know, I, I just don't want to do this alone, I kind of want to see what's out there, we're behind you. We want to support you. If, if you have something that's on your heart that you feel that would bless people in this church community as well as in our neighborhood, go for it. We want, to, we want to be around you and pray for you and see where the Lord guides in those things. We're totally behind you on it. And Mary took the initiative. She, she reached out to Elizabeth for support, for advice, for counsel. 
And I'm not saying that everyone here is guilty of this because some of you guys are really, really good about this, seeking out that fellowship. Some of you are excellent about this. And some of you are a little bit off balance because you're confusing fellowship with social things. So, so you're really good at the social aspect of it, but you're not really that good at the fellowship aspect of it. And some of you aren't so good at these social things. It's all about fellowship for you that you're not being light into a dark world. That you're not being salt to a tasteless world. That you need to kind of get yourself a little dirty out there and not be so sanitary and like everything's fellowship, everything's whatever. You need to engage the culture here. You need to engage the community here. Lives are needing to be saved. So, so we need to kind of exercise those things. And the women's group that meets on Saturday morning, I, that's a fantastic place of fellowship. If any of you have gone, you know that. You know that. And, and the church didn't impose that on anyone to start it. We didn't say like, me as a man, I think the women need support. I think that they need testimony with each other. And I as a man know all these things. It was a woman. It was a woman or two that felt it on their heart that they needed to fellowship together, that they needed to share their stories with one another, that it would be a, a, a forum for encouragement, for support, a, a place that people wouldn't be judged. And these beautiful stories have been coming out of that support group and have been so supportive to various women in that group. And so we have a picture of fellowship there that happens Saturday mornings in that chapel. It's a beautiful picture of fellowship. And so a challenge for us is, is how are we going to do a like thing? How are we going to be like Mary and Elizabeth in, in having that fellowship together? Secondly, Elizabeth teaches us and demonstrates to us this confession of faith. Verses 41 through 43. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that my mother of my Lord should come to me? You see how humble she is? She's, she's so gracious. She's, I mean, she's, she's like, wow, this, this, this more mature woman in the faith. And this, and this little girl comes up who, like, who knows how she got pregnant. But, but, but Elizabeth knows. She knows. And so do you hear this confession from Elizabeth? The mother of my Lord. What is Elizabeth saying? Well, it, the saying, Mother of my Lord. She is confessing that the Lord is human. Right? Jesus is him, human. He, he will be a human child born of a human mother. And while she is confessing He is human, He is her Lord. He's also divine. Her confession of He's human and He's divine. And that mysteriously, Jesus is both human and divine. Smart woman. And do you notice she said, My Lord. My Lord. She acknowledged her own personal submission and subservience to Jesus. My Lord. He wasn't even physically born yet. My Lord. In there. Beep, right there inside. And... Elizabeth was submitting her, her life to that king. And it's important to know that, that, that 
you don't have you don't just have true biblical faith faith to confess to simply just say the right things and to know the right things i mean was jesus human yes was jesus god yes was he born of a virgin named mary yes is he part of the triune god yes all of those things are important to confess and, and to acknowledge that they're true. And, 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 but none of it is good if you can't say that Jesus is my Lord. If you know all that stuff, but you can't confess that He's your Lord, your personal Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter. If you haven't committed your life to, to His kingship over your life, it doesn't matter if you know all that stuff to be true and that you confess it to be true. It doesn't matter. Lord isn't a word to be taken lightly. Lord means Master. Lord means the sovereign one, the one that is in charge, the one who, who, who makes the calls over your life, who directs your life. And if you call Him Lord, is your heart, is your life submitted to Him? You might know all that stuff to be true, but is your life submitted to Him? And if it's not, you probably have an incomplete confession of faith. You have part of it. You know these truths, but you don't know them to be your truth to, so that you would actually change your life for those truths. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit come into your life? And allowed for that transformation to happen in your life. And the early church had a confession of faith, which was simply, Jesus is Lord. There, that, that was really deep for them. It meant a lot for them. And is, is this our confession of faith? Is this our starting point of our faith, that Jesus is our Lord? Who we're submitted to and, and where our will is looking to for guidance and direction for our lives? Elizabeth shows, shows us an outburst of joy. Right? She, 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 she's, she's ecstatic that Mary has, has, is there. And, and you know, that's essential for a believer's life. That's an essential thing. To have this outburst, this explosion of joy. Luke told us about it in verse 41, but, but Elizabeth tells Mary about it in verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Six month old, probably that big. You know, like it's pretty awesome. Some, I, I remember like sometimes when my, my daughters would stretch in my wife's womb, it was like, it was really cool. And you would feel it, and you could actually like feel the heel, or most of the time I felt their bum because it was like they were like sticking out. And it was like, wow, look at that guy, wanting a spanking already. And so. The baby was John the Baptist. This leapt for joy. John leaped for joy inside the woman. Even the one who, not even born yet. And, and his little cousin's over there like, Hey dude, how is it? Right? And, and even in, in, in the baby in the womb, he's six months along, he expresses joy. He, he leaped when Mary came into the house with Jesus. And so you see the joy that Jesus brings. He even affects the little baby inside the like ah, that, that even a baby in the womb leap for joy in the presence of a redeemer. And that's what the next verse is Mary's song goes into. What does it mean to have a savior whom you've waited for to arrive for centuries? And, and when we look at, at Mary's song here in, in a minute, you compare it to Psalm 
chapter 130. Right? In Israel's waiting for a redeemer. In Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1, verses 71, 74, and 77, to have this redeemer means to be saved from all your enemies and 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 all that who hate you. It means salvation in the forgiveness of sins, the deliverance from enemies, the deliverance from guilt. And that's what our Redeemer Jesus brings. And, and at this moment for Mary and Elizabeth, He's here. He's arrived. He's, he's coming. He's, he's going to be coming nine months from now. He's, he's, he's here. So you talk about this joy. They're ecstatic. Joy that even John had inside the womb to recognize He's coming. And Jesus talked about it Himself in Luke chapter 5, verses 33 and 34. And they said to Him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eats and drinks. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? What does Jesus mean here? Well, there's something about Jesus' coming and His presence that brings joy. Right? That joy can't be cut out. It, Jesus coming means it's party time. It's party time. It, when it's party time, you don't crash it and, and tell everyone, drop your drink and your chocolate cake. We are going to fast. And you especially don't tell that to pregnant women. <laughs> don't do that. She will not drop her cake. Part of it will be in your face, but the other part she will consume. And you don't... You don't tell the people to stop, party, uh, stop partying, to start fasting at a wedding reception. I just did a, a wedding yesterday, and it, it, was, it was really cool. It was out in front of the beach there, and they had a mariachi band playing, and it was cool. I was the only Asian guy there, but it was really awesome. And um, I was like, buenos dias. So when you go to a wedding reception... They don't serve prune juice and Vegemite. Right? Unless it's a more mature Australian couple getting married, maybe. But I haven't been to one of those yet. And if I officiated one of those, I would respectfully decline drinking prune juice and having Vegemite. And now there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with prune juice. And there's nothing wrong with Vegemite. Both nutritious things. I just wouldn't call them party food. It's not party food, right? It's, it's inappropriate. They're appropriate for maybe a, a cleansing party. <laughs> not a wedding party. And so that's what Jesus is saying. It's inappropriate to fast at His coming. At His coming, it's party time. Party! Eat! Drink! Have some stuff. There's an outburst. There's this explosion of joy. It's inappropriate to fast. And the point Elizabeth is making in chapter 1 and Jesus is making in chapter 5 is, is that it's party time in the presence of a Redeemer. When Jesus is here, yee! When He's not, okay, let's pray that He gets here. And so there's this festivity to be had around the Gospel that, that our Redeemer has come who will deliver us from all our enemies, who will deliver us from our sins. So shouldn't there be joy? And I'm not talking about like the dopey happiness. Like, oh, yeah, we're always happy. Oh, oh, praise the Lord. That's good sometimes if it's really true. But it's a joy from within. Right? Like, how, now how else are you to be? If, if Jesus is really your Savior and really your, your Redeemer, are you supposed to be negative about it? 
Are you supposed to be unhappy, malcontent, glum? I mean, where's that gospel joy in you if, you're, if Jesus is really in your life? And I know of people who claim to be Christian, but they have to notify their face that they are. Like, come on! Are you kidding me? Right? And, and how can that be? Where's the joy in your life? How come you're so negative? Every time I talk to you, it's always, Eeyore! It's, come on! There's joy in the gospel. Right? It's not about being deliriously happy and whatever all the time, but the joy of the gospel in deep that, that keeps you above the glum line. Let's just call it the glum line. Right? It keeps you above that glum line. In Jesus, our Redeemer, there's this deep, stable, anchoring joy that keeps us above the glum line. Right? That even when things don't look so good, that, that Jesus is someone that, that can kind of keep our heads above that glum line. And like, I'm still, I'm still good. I'm still good. Jesus saved me. I'm still good. I, he's in my life. I'm still good. Now, if there's a medical condition that has you in, in this bad place, uh, emotionally, physically, whatever, th- then that should be diagnosed. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get that addressed. You should. Okay? You, you should. And you should receive help for your mental health um, issue. And I'm not discrediting that there are issues that, that need medical attention. But to those who don't have this medical issue, do you have joy in your life because, because of the gospel? Is the gospel real enough to you that you're above that glum line, that you don't have to walk around with this thing on your shoulder to make everyone else feel bad when they're around you? Right? And Elizabeth gives us a principle of assurance. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Elizabeth is contrasting her husband, Zechariah, here who in verse 20 didn't believe that the angel announced to him Mary. Mary did. She just wasn't sure quite how, but but she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And in reading this in, in the version that you guys have in the pews, the ESV, we would read that and interpret that as, as a content of Mary's faith, meaning how blessed is she who believed that there would that that, that there would be a fulfillment. But, but it should be probably be taken as a reason and translated more like this. Blessed is she who believed because there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's the principle of assurance that Elizabeth gives us. What, what she's saying is that if the Lord has given His word to you, if He has most assuredly spoken something to you, there will be a fulfillment of it. It will come to pass. If the Lord said it, you can be assured. You can take that to the bank. That's going to happen. No matter how impossible it may seem, that's going to happen. That's assurance for all of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. If God has said anything to promise you something, He will fulfill it. He said He's coming back. Done. I don't know when. might not even be in my biological lifetime, but I know He's coming back. And when He does... Cool. I, I'm ready. And Martin Luther was asked about consubstantiation, meaning during communion, during the Lord's Supper, Christ's body was in, of, and under the bread versus transubstantiation, because he was debating the Catholic Church on this subject. And transubstantiation means that those elements there, the, the bread there, uh, that the, the, 
the wine that they used at the time. We use grape juice, meaning that the Lord's body uh, in, is actually transferred to that bread. And so they had this debate about this stuff, and this doctrine was asked about by uh, E. Cal- What's his name? E. Calampadius. I think that's his name. Don't quote me on that. So, so he says, Martin, what more would you have if Christ's body was actually present in as much as his divine spirit is there? Like, what difference is it? And so Luther responded, I don't know. But if Christ asked me to eat dung, I would eat it. What was Luther saying? Luther was telling us something really important here, not to eat dung. He was saying that if Christ, if Christ asked me to eat it, I would eat it. Why? Because he had the confidence in the character of Jesus. Right? If Christ asked him to do it, he could trust him. He could count on him. Sure, I'll do it, God. He could trust God's character, even though it seemed like a really odd request. He could do it. And Elizabeth is sharing with us this assurance. What the Lord says, what His promises are to us, will be fulfilled. We can count on those promises. In John chapter 4, verses Verse 60, Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Promise. Going to happen. John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Assurance. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me... Though he die, yet shall he live. Assurance. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? See, those are words to us that will be fulfilled. Those are promises from Jesus that we can count on. And there will be a fulfillment of the things spoken to us from God's words. So, so are there, some, there are some things to ask of ourselves. Do we participate in the fellowship like Elizabeth and Mary did? Do we, do we share in Elizabeth's faith? Do, do we know her joy? Do we know John the Baptist's joy? Do we have the assurance that anything spoken by the Lord to me will, will be fulfilled? Will be certainly fulfilled? And Elizabeth has a lot to teach us. She, she taught Mary a lot. Right? If, you, if you jump all the way down to that last section there, Verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Those three months were pivotal in Mary's life. Right? How, what she learned from Elizabeth here. Now this next section of Scripture, we're running short on time, so I've got to speed through some of this. It's, it's known as the Magnificat. Right? And it's taken from the Latin in verse 46. It's speaking to us of one who magnifies. And before we head into it, let, let's keep in mind that both Mary and Elizabeth, they're undergoing some changes physically, socially, spiritually, emotionally. And, and Elizabeth changed from this outsider, this barren woman, to become this expectant mother and, and this spirit-filled prophetess. Mary is, is newly pregnant with, with this social outcast status, but she's not going to return the same person three months later to her town after her visit visit with Elizabeth. Her visit with Elizabeth affirmed her role in 
in being the mother of the Messiah. Right? And we'll see that from her song that, that it shows us this really mature, deep, confident, joyous woman. This deep-spirited, confident woman that by the time she returns to Nazareth three months later, she will be a totally changed person who is able to withstand all those community pressures and social pressures and being an outcast and things like that. So it wasn't just these physical and social changes that were happening. Spiritually speaking, she was totally transformed. She's a different person. And what brought about those changes? And I think her song gives us some clues here. Now some would argue, how could a teenager, 13 to 18 years old, how could a teenager compose this song? Because if you read it, it's really deep theologically. It's just a beautifully constructed piece of poetry. And how can she do that if more than likely she did not have an education? Right? Women back in that time were very rarely educated. And if they were, they was probably in a bigger city like Jerusalem. And their, their parents had a lot of money or they had a lot of influence. Not in this Hickville town. Not a little girl in a, in a Hickville town. They're not, how did she construct something like that? I mean, Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. That, 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 that outflow from the Spirit had, was able to be given to Mary. And that, that there's an outflow of this extreme gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done. And in this song, there, there are, are references to many scriptures in the Old Testament. There are verses that come from Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. So Mary knew her scriptures. Mary knew her scriptures. She had a great youth pastor. Um, these were things familiar to her as, as a faithful Jewess. Right? These are words that were impressed upon her, perhaps in her home, in her single synagogue, or, or the temple, or maybe in the three months, Elizabeth. And with this song, Mary worshipped God with her entire being. She had a reason to magnify the Lord. She was carrying the Redeemer of the world in her womb. And while Mary was thankful for the gift she was carrying, she didn't forget the giver of that gift. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, now God can't be made any bigger by us magnifying Him in our praise. He, he, he can't be any bigger than He is, right? And He can't... He, he just can't be made any larger, right? But He can be magnified in our soul. In us, God can be magnified. We magnify God when we have some new understanding about Him. Whenever we have this new realization of who God is, we magnify God. What happened in the hill town of Judea during her visit with Elizabeth there? What happened? What caused her to return home changed? Well, she had this faith in a personal Savior and she had this new understanding in her that she magnified that. She was able to magnify the Lord there. Verse 47-48, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She, like Elizabeth, says, My Savior. My Savior. My Savior knows and understands my condition, my circumstances. God knows precisely where you are and who you are. 
And some of us have these difficult circumstances we're going through that are far from ideal. Nothing that we have ever planned. And Mary had some pretty tough circumstances and I'm sure she didn't plan when she was 12. I think I'm going to carry the Savior and I'll be a virgin when I do it. She did not plan that. She, and I'll be rejected from society. I'll have to make an over 70 mile hike to go visit my relative. She didn't think any of that stuff, right? But she was able to rejoice because she had this personal Savior. And you notice here that Mary acknowledged herself as a sinner. Some, some think that she was sinless. But she said, my Savior. Now, why would you need, need a Savior if you don't have sin? So Mary needed a Savior like the rest of us. And so she came from this little obscure town called Nazareth, which was a, a garrison for, for Roman soldiers. It was this frontier town. It was kind of like this, this town where it was, it was like Hawaii, but not as nice. Um, and she was betrothed to a carpenter and, and undoubtedly poor, right? And insignificant based on where they lived and who she was betrothed to. She wasn't betrothed to like the town mayor or something like that. A carpenter. And outside of her relatives and people from town, who would even know who Mary was? But it's not about who she is. It's not about where she was from. It's all about Jesus. Because she has a Savior is why all the generations will be called blessed. It's not that she's anything great, but she's not anything small either because we talked about that swing last week. She was a hero of the faith. Let's not get that wrong. But she was a sinner. She needed a Savior. And, she, and the reason why she's blessed is because of Jesus, not because of something or someone who she is. It's not because she's better. It's because God was merciful to her. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God has turned Mary's life upside down. She's young. She's pregnant. Without her marriage being consummated. Now what do her parents think? What does Joseph think? What does her community think? How could Mary think that God was merciful to her when all those circumstances put her in a really bad spot? How can she possibly say that? I mean, this is a situation that she can even possibly risk her life. And God isn't looking for people to have their life all lined up correctly. That you have everything lined up perfect in your life. He's not looking for perfect people to work through. God is looking for people who recognize they are in need of His mercy and turn to Him for His mercy. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now the arm was a symbol of strength. It was a sign of deliverance. And so we see how the arrival of Jesus changed the direction from peril to hope. Right? There, there, there's now this reversal of conditions that is made possible. Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Everything that people boast in, power, understanding, righteousness, intellect, influence, social status, morality, ethics, everything will be brought down by God. Right? For those questioning, how long, God? Mary says in her song, No longer. He's here. It's done. There will be a reversal of condition. There will be a restoration of creation. The humble servant who, who does his will will be exalted. The powerful leaders who refuse God will be humbled. 
And you remember Joseph who was in prison and falsely accused? And later, later to be in position of authority in Egypt to save his people from, from the famine? And what about 400 years from that point to Pharaoh, who, who in his pride he refused to let God's people go and, and he suffered death? So you see how the, the, the mighty fall and how the lowly are lifted up. And how about Daniel who's taken captive into Babylon and he's there serving God faithfully and he's elevated to a place of government. And then there's Nebuchadnezzar on the top, so proud of his own kingdom. He's made to eat grass. And God will turn things upside down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God speaks for justice. God speaks for things being made right. And He will make everything that's wrong, right. 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, and He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. See, Mary was looking beyond herself at this point. And she was looking at the perspective of the world. And you notice that Mary was speaking here in the past tense. Now, isn't that strange? All of this is in the past tense. She was speaking in the prophetic past. And although there are things to, to have yet to occur, she spoke of them as though they have already happened. Why does she do that? Because even though she's making prophecy of the future, she's speaking the Word of God. When God says He will do something, He's going to do it. It's a done deal. It's already done. Right? He will do it. He remembers His promises. He promised a Savior, a Redeemer to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, to the prophets. God is fulfilling His promise. So those of us who put our trust in Jesus are the offspring of Abraham and, the, and that covenant mercy is made to us. Verse 56, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary went home a totally changed woman. And what gets me is that she was in the first trimester going there, but now she's in her second trimester going back. She had to go back. And, and, and so she came to acknowledge something. She came to understand that the baby she was carrying will lift up the humble, will feed the hungry. She had in her the Savior who, who lifts us up and makes us like Him. And that time with Elizabeth must have been just so rich that it really influenced her whole countenance and allowed her to compose that beautiful song. And, and Elizabeth was just an incredible woman. You, you think of John the Baptist and what a great guy that guy was. I mean, look at his mom. It's not a surprise. And you look at the time that Mary spent with Elizabeth and you're like, oh, Mary, how did she compose that song? She spent it with a very godly woman. So I encourage all of us to engage one another in fellowship. To learn from people who are a little bit more mature in the faith and to have them speak into our lives. We all can use that. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us what it means to call Jesus our Lord, our Master, the one who calls the shots Show us that when, when we are bound to Christ is actually when we are truly free. 
And please give us that gospel joy that, that penetrates our attitudes and, and our minds despite anything that we're going through now, Lord. Keep us above that glum line. Lord, grant the people here joy and peace in you. May they be filled with hope knowing that you are their God. In Jesus' name, amen.